Hey there, this is In Depth, Episode 2. I am Mike Rundle. And I'm Eli Schiff. And a big thanks to our friends at Smile Software for supporting the show. Uh, and we want to really share their app, Text Expander, with you. So you can use Text Expander to power through repetitive communication, standardize and improve written replies that you do every day. You can also bring order to your meeting notes with a fillable template, write customizable reference requests once, and then use it every time you need it. You can require your best words instantly and repeatedly. You can summon your collected knowledge with a few letters and a hotkey. Share it with others and make everyone more productive. Try Text Expander free for 30 days. Text Expander subscriptions include software for Mac, iPad, iPhone, and Windows. Visit TextExpander.com slash podcast to start your free trial. The main topic today is the big Dropbox rebrand that was unveiled on October 3rd. So it was a collaboration primarily between their uh, in-house brand team and Collins, who has previously worked on campaigns for Airbnb and Spotify, Foursquare, Miller Beer, and some others. As part of the rebrand, uh, Dropbox has now adopted the typeface Sharp Grotesque, and it's 259 different <laughs> widths and weights. Uh, they have updated their logo mark and color palette to be uh, different than what they previously had. And it's really stirred up some controversy in our little industry. So, uh, Eli, I know you were all over this rebrand right when it came out. So, you know, let's start with the new logo and the, and the mark itself. So, what, you know, what's your take on it? Well, it's uh, certainly simplified, and they seem to draw it according to a grid, which, I mean, everybody just goes wild when something's on a grid, regardless <laughs> of whether it seems balanced or more proportional or you know, is optically any, any more improved, it's on a grid, so it's automatically better. Um, and from that perspective, I mean, I don't think that it necessarily is not, uh, it do, it's not that it doesn't look like a box, and it, I mean, it certainly is box-ish, but I guess they seem to, I mean, if, if you look at their website, the design, Dropbox.design, one of the ways they described it was that they said, our old logo was a blue box that implied Dropbox is a great place to store stuff. And they said, the new one is cleaner and simpler. We've evolved it from a literal box to a collection of surfaces to show that Dropbox is an open platform and a place for creation. Oh, my God. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, uh, okay. I yeah, keep going. I'm just, I'm just picturing in my head and how it's, you know, just bothering me kind of at a visceral level. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's. It's not the first time uh, that a company has taken something that was more of a direct metaphor and moved towards a more abstract uh, concept, which is, is fine. I mean, there's certainly some of the best logos out there are just a completely abstract form and they have some elegance to them and that's okay. And I don't think you have to necessarily be literal. But if you do have something that is literal, like your name is, a, is called Dropbox, you know, I don't necessarily see why you would want to move away from that into something more conceptual. And they haven't gone off the deep end as far as that goes. You know, they're still clearly, it's it's in the lineage to some degree. Um, but even recently, you could look at the YouTube rebrand where they were saying that people don't know what tube refers to and that it refers to the old CRT, cathode ray tube televisions. Mm -hmm. and And it seems... Like even there isn't a confidence 
within the teams themselves, within the companies themselves, that yeah. what they're doing is worthwhile. It's almost like they think they have to disparage their entire core and their message and turn it into something they're not because they're not enough in a way. That's a great point. And, and this kind of gets to a lot of the stuff that, that you talked about in the past that I 100% agree with, which is this weird trend of designers in 2017 and you know last year, et cetera, um, just totally shitting on their work from you know a few years ago or many years ago um, as if it existed or was designed in some universe where they were just stupid, terrible designers and they didn't know any better and now they are enlightened in in the most extreme way and can look back on their on their silly ways when they're earlier in a career where the work they were doing was was terrible and it has to be thrown away and destroyed and lit on fire <laughs> to to show the new purity and that's exactly what you're saying with this Dropbox it's like you know they're like what are they like ashamed of their of their of their box like the name of their company has the word box in it they're one of their fucking competitors is box you know like box is a thing you store stuff it makes sense and they're just like, oh, now it's a it's a series of surfaces, um, but like, and it's an open platform. It's just, it's just the worst. It's the worst kind of brand description. And it reminds me of this stuff. It was many years ago um, when Pepsi's latest brand was unveiled. Mm. Uh, I think there was like a twenty or thirty page, PD, like basically like the, the 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 final output, the PDF that their you know the firm gave to Pepsi to describe the new you know the brief of the new brand. That was, I remember it was many years ago. We can link to it, you know, in the show notes, but it was leaked and it was just the most insufferable designer, you know, bullshit to justify in however much money was being spent on this brand. Yeah. And this, this sounds exactly like that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, and the thing with that, the Pepsi rebrand material was that. That was sort of an ambiguous uh, rebrand in the sense that it was so over the top. I think it had to be a troll. Um, <laughs> but and the guy who created, I'm just blanking on his name, but he is uh, very. He's a very sort of. He's got his own personal tics, and he he only drank orange juice for a while, I believe. <laughs> and he's just a very interesting character. Um, but but nonetheless, it. It was the epitome of everything that's wrong with branding, this sort of self-indulgence. Um, and we'll get to that, I guess, certainly more. Uh, but yeah, I think that you're totally right with with the the sort of people just taking themselves overly seriously in a way, um, but in a way that actually comes out as incoherence, ultimately. Yeah, and, and, and that really speaks to... Like objectively, the greatest brands have not changed much over time. You look at the Nike logo. You look at the you know evolution of the Coca Cola mark over its history, and it's almost identical. Uh, very, very you know many 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 decades ago. Um, you know, and you look at like for example, I think there was a I saw a tweet about the Leica brand. How Leica has had the same mark uh, for their you know their camera products and lenses for forever. Um, and it's, it's like the greatest, they have this brand that they've built up over time and it's become larger than just like the, you know, the vector points of the mark itself. You know, there's, there's no evolving or slightly tweaking. Like for example, you know, I know they updated the, the box mark itself, I think a couple years ago, um, to, to, 
to be more box like to to be you know to embrace the box itself you know the essence of being a box mm. as a factor mark now <laughs> they're they're like oh it's not a box that's not a box at all how do you, <laughs> how do you even look at that and think it's a box it was never a box you know and and right. it's just this weird rewriting of it such that you know I'm surprised they didn't rename their whole company to just be like drop or something <laughs> you know like I'm sitting no, I'm yeah. seriously like like you know, removing all, you know, vestigial organs of the box from their mark, from their name. It's no longer a box. It's ethereal. I'm surprised it didn't go that far. Yeah. And it's actually, you're, you're totally spot on with that. And that was sort of one of the biggest challenges that they faced in a way was this, the fact that in a way they embodied everything that is Silicon Valley design, which is sort of modernism, but also uh, this this childlike modernism, and, mm-hmm. and Google certainly epitomizes that as well. Uh, and, and I guess that maybe this leads into the typography. One thing, and we can get into the specific uh, the specifics of their typography. But you know, if you look at Product Sans, I think Product Sans. I mean, I see some similarity to a lot of these humanist sans serifs like Avenir or. Um, I'm trying to think of what other ones, but, mm-hmm. but in a way, uh, yeah, that's great. Product sense almost aligns equally well with Google and Dropbox. And for them, they moved, as you mentioned earlier from, uh, I don't remember what their earlier font was, I but don't know now either. they have, yeah. yeah, now they have this sharp sense, which, which as you mentioned has 259 <laughs> variants or weights, um, because, because of the whole, uh, variable fonts trend where mm-hmm. now everything has to have infinite fonts because responsive design. So now, you know, five or six or seven weights is simply not enough. Right. It's not just um, the size that needs to shift. It's the fundamental, you know, character of the typeface, you know. Right, right. And the thing, the interesting thing about that is, you know, I don't even think that there's anything necessarily wrong with variable fonts. I mean, if, if, if a company has the resources to implement that well, then great. But the, the question is, why do we have to also, now the fact that we can scale our fonts in, uh, you know, and their width, why does it mean we have to have all these extended fonts? Why, why can't they just condense when necessary? Mm-hmm. Why do they have to be totally, absurdly uh, stretched out? And yeah. that, that doesn't follow. Well, it was celebrated, right? Like they, they, they celebrated the the chaotic nature of all these wits and weights combining and animated in a fluid nature um, in, in a way that, you know, you can't celebrate 259 versions of a thing without, I think, completely losing the meaning of the thing itself, the essence of it, right? Like mm-hmm. the, the feel of sharp grotesque when it's thicker and bolder and heavier compared to when it's very narrow and tall and thin you know, utterly, utterly different feels. Um, and right. what I, what I don't quite understand is it's application, you know, within Dropbox, you know, like, you know, fundamentally Dropbox, the product is like table list views of very kind of straightforward information and where are they going to be using these like ridiculously thick versions, these hairline, tall and skinny variants with, you know, no letting and, and, and like, where are they going to use that stuff in just a regular product interface? It's, it's, it, it, is it for aesthetics only? Cause obviously, you know, they're not really changing their product 
design uh, typeface selections, right? It's still essentially what we've always seen. They're not going to change it to make it look like a, a poster when you're just viewing a list of folders in a you know folders in your structure. You know. Well, you know, I think you're just too skeptical, Mike, because <laughs> just give them time. They know what they're doing, uh, and. They've they've foreseen the future. This is what's coming, and they're ahead of you. So, just understand that you may be you may be out of the loop, but they and all their friends they totally get what's going on, um, and you just have to believe them. So just wait and see. They've got some new tools coming out. Uh, you know, they they even promoted this this survey of of a new design tool that they're coming out with, and mm-hmm. surely they're going to outfit this new design tool to compete with Adobe, and it's going to just blow your mind. But it's also going to all the UI elements are going to be this sharp grotesque extended. You know, it's going to be some of these more stretched out versions and I'm that's just going to the ui is going to be littered with that so that's the future of interface design so <laughs> it's it's the, the see the future of user interface design is to make the product look like it's having a um, a constant seizure on your screen right such <laughs> that uh you're just so amazed at at the at how fluid it is and flexible uh you know that 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 matters so much more than the content than the utility of dropbox itself um, you know, obviously we're, you know, right. we're being facetious here, but like, you know, this kind of gets into, um, you know, the, the type, and this is, this is kind of the, the crux of, of, of my, my take on it is the, the celebration of this kind of crazy typographic style with a million different weights and it's super creative and it's, you know, people have been using it on like concert posters and blah, 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 contrasted with the utility of Dropbox, the, 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 the commodity of file storage up in the cloud and the the point you know the brand promise of dropbox is you, you store all my stuff and you don't lose it and i trust you that i can go back like a couple different versions or whatever and i can make sure this file really easily like that's that's kind of the brand promise like people people don't and to me it's like you know you look at um comcast and time warner and all these broadband uh carriers who are trying to elevate their service up such that people would be, you know, more aware of them. Like they're a brand that you care about. Like, no, it's a commodity. Like you're delivering the content I care about to me. I, whatever the TV service is, I don't give a shit. I want to see these shows, the movies. Right. And it's the same thing with TV sets. You know, we have all these smart TVs now with all this software. And at the end, I just want a panel. I want a panel to show the content I want. And Dropbox is like that. Dropbox is just a, a commoditized uh, cloud storage platform that I would trust with backups and sharing or whatever. But the thing I care about is the stuff I store in Dropbox, not Dropbox itself. Like, get the fuck out of the way. I don't want to see your, I don't want to see your brand. I want it to be like Muji, just like completely brandless. You know, just show right. the list of my files. I don't need to think about Dropbox, right? Well, yeah, it's interesting you mentioned <clears throat> its its uh, status as a commodity because, in a way, if you just go back maybe to April or May, they put out this series of articles on Medium. Dropbox did about their illustration um, their illustration system, really, and which is a totally modernist conception that you could take you know who knows how many illustrators are at Dropbox, come come up with a, a line weight. And a sort of it, it was a sort of grainy line weight, not exactly grainy, but mm-hmm. yeah, it had a texture to it. 
Um, and if you can just systematize that and then allow the designers to have this sort of ultimately uh, cohesive style to it, then you could produce something that would be enjoyable, but also would fit into their more stark minimalist style. Um, and they were very proud of that just just a few months ago. Um, but then... <laughs> can you imagine, and, and I guess, yeah. can you imagine like, the folks that worked on that internally, and then it just got utterly lit on fire? You know. Well, that's the thing. I think that, in a way, those people are the same people who are promoting this. And I don't mm. think it's like some sort of cognitive dissonance. Well, I mean, maybe it is to a certain degree, but I don't think it's just that. I think that in a way, there's, there's, there are bigger things going on politically within the company that it's not simply like some people's work was trashed and screw them. In, in a way, it seems like people were brought into the fold on something new. Mm-hmm. Um, now I don't necessarily think that's a good thing. Um, well, to energize, but, but, you know, like yeah. the, the designers they had, right? I mean, they have so many freaking designers at Dropbox, um, right? And this is just kind of a larger point of like our industry. Like we, you know, a company it, it blows people's minds how many designers are at certain companies where the outward product of that company is. Uh, very straightforward or seemingly very straightforward mm-hmm. and Dropbox mm-hmm. is, is basically the, the epitome of that. I mean, their, their product is invisible, right? In, in its essence, in its best form, you don't know it exists or is even on or working. It just is a layer of, you, you know, some kind of, uh, you know, you feel good about it's back, you know, your stuff is back up. It's like peace of mind. Right. And then you, mm-hmm. But you can't bring top-notch design talent to Dropbox if if you tell them that they're the ideal state of Dropbox is to be fully invisible. You know, you can't say that. Right. So they they have to sell designers on you know on something brand new. Like, hey, we're undertaking this massive new thing. We are. I don't know. I don't know if they're losing share to anybody, but like they're like, hey, we have to like up level our brand and getting people stoked because. You know, maybe these designers came from marketing before, or print design, or website design before, versus you know product UI design, um, and they just got to give them something to do. It's like Facebook did the same thing; like they had the entire team, thinking like their Creative Labs team, and they just did all these like one-off apps that were made by like a handful of people that mm-hmm. came to Facebook via like an acquisition or whatever because nobody wants to be the designer working on like the permissions settings UI at Facebook. My, my friend is actually the P, used to be the PM on that team, um, the product manager, but like, like nobody wants to be that designer working in the belly of the beast. They want to be working on like interesting stuff. Right. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's what it might, it must be that they just right. give them things to do to keep them around. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it, and, and it's, it's, to take that point specifically to the illustrations, um, you know, if you look at a lot of companies have been have been really upping their editorial um, their editorial style and uh, I guess what would it be their art direction. So something like Intercom, right. uh, there are a few ex ex Dropboxers over at Intercom, and they're pushing something similar to what Dropbox moved to in this in this redesign. Something quite similar. There there were a lot of parallels there. Um, but you know, even companies like, let's see, uh, Spotify or rather Shopify, although Spotify is, is another, there's another comparison right. there since Collins worked on, on them before. Um, but in, in the case of Shopify, you know, they have, they have some amazing illustrators there and, and they have a similar systematized illustration style. Now I find them 
some similarities that I feel could be more differentiated between all of these companies um, in terms of the illustration style. But I think that they had reached somewhat of a happy uh, a happy medium between expressiveness or and and reduction. Sure. Now I think they were too close to reduction, but ultimately they were riding that line in a way that worked for them. Um, and and but it seems that that wasn't enough for whoever initiated this new redesign and. Mm-hmm. They had to bring in this more postmodern aesthetic with these crazy Microsoft Paint. And I I don't use that lightly. You know, every time a company comes out with a rebrand, Instagram, it's Microsoft Paint. Um, It's not simply that it's Microsoft Paint because it looks bad or because I think it's ugly or something. It's Microsoft Paint quite literally because of the airbrush tool that appears to be the line the stroke Mm -hmm. uh, texture. And that's why I say I don't use it lightly because, you know, people will say, oh, you know, this rebrand looks like they made it in PowerPoint or something. (laughs) Yes, that's that's an obvious critique you could make. But but I I think that there is this sort of naive um, aesthetic they're going for, which there's, we can explore that more. I'm curious what you think about that. Yeah. um, So the illustration style. So it's interesting. That's a really great point about how do you, Build a system around an illustration style such that a you know a dozen visual designers at a company can work within it and produce work that looks you know similar and uniform across the board. Um, Intuit has an, an illustration style where uh, basically every illustration has it, it looks as if there's a, a single line that creates all of the shapes and, and the line kind of just kind of continues. Um, so, you know, it'll be like a horizontal line starting out and then it'll go up to create, you know, the face and the eyes and the nose and come back down. Um, but it gets very elaborate with like buildings and cityscapes. Um, and I, I actually like that a lot. It's, it's something that, uh, people add into it, have worked within, they've kind of refined the style. Now they're doing, uh, variable stroke width. So, you know, the outer, the outter stroke will kind of be like, you know, thicker and the inner one's a little bit thinner, but it's been uniform for a number of years now, you know, across the product, across their website. And, you know, there are hundreds of these illustrations kind of crafted and you can kind of, you know, take them and use them wherever. And there's, and everything looks extremely uniform. Um, and I think that's right. a, you know, a good example of kind of a systematized illustration style, um, that it's it's deferring to the, the 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 application and the usage and the product that it's placed within. It's not say attracting uh, attention, you know, you know, like like these new these new Dropbox illustrations are. And I'm I'm not an illustrator, you know. I'm just not I'm I'm not somebody. I I don't even consider myself kind of like a really solid visual designer. Um, but I I would say that you know in interfaces that are you know, very utilitarian like Dropbox, where you're you have something to do to achieve these uh, very abstract kind of like something you might see in the front of a New Yorker magazine uh, illustrations. I feel like they 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 take something away, and it's and and I was thinking about this yesterday. You know, another hand drawn illustration aesthetic that really was not brought up as part of this larger discussion about Dropbox is Basecamp. Basecamp has had this hand drawn illustration aesthetic for a few years now. Uh, I forgot the name of the designer who came on, who kind of uh, created that style within within Basecamp, and, and was and it Mig, now using. I was it Mig it, Reyes? Yeah, I think it's, I think that's I think it was him. So yeah, um, but he came on, and the illustration style at Basecamp is made to be friendly and approachable, uh, 
so that people and that's their really entire brand is that Basecamp is not SharePoint. It's not this massive complex project management thing that you can't understand. It's software that is made for humans and people, and uh, and their illustration style is made to to kind of have that friendly aesthetic. Now. I think they've achieved that. I mean, I, I personally don't think it's. I, I mean, I wouldn't use that like on my own products or websites. But you know, it, it, there's a goal there, and I think they achieved it. Now, now contrast that with with Dropbox, which is you know the new illustration style is all hand drawn, but it's not meant to be hand drawn and approachable and friendly. It's meant to be hand drawn like something in you know the Museum of Modern Art or yeah. something. That is extremely abstract, not to be, you know, friendly and, and uh, comforting to the person who sees it, but to to stand out in contrast to the information presented around it. Right. Well, it, and this is goes back to something we were talking about earlier with the self indulgence, and you know, one of the major criticisms of skeuomorphism, people would say, "Oh, it's just visual masturbation. The designers are just trying to, you know." excite themselves and have a good time. Well, design's not about you, the designer. It's really about exactly. the, the consumer. Well, where is that thinking today? And it's, it's funny how the same people who criticize skeuomorphism about, or I mean, skeuomorphism as a broad category, obviously it doesn't mean exactly what, mm-hmm. what the way that it's used colloquially. But my point is just that, you know, dimensional design, I should say, really, um, is that people would accuse designers of not really thinking of the consumer. Well, I, I think that in a way there there is something where, and other people will disagree, but dimensional design, yes, may have been enjoyable to make. And I think even people who have moved on from it would admit that they had a lot of fun making it. Mm-hmm. But but it was also enjoyable for the user. And yes, it may have stood out, but you know, for instance, we used muted colors. We you know, we didn't use the most blinding, right. uh, contrasting, uh, vibrating colors as in, you know, the new Dropbox redesign or iOS seven. We we tried to make it harmonious with the the overall palettes that were happening in the interface. Um, and so the self-indulgence idea that I think is in a way it's about the the narrative. It's about the creator and their their personal story and what what they find useful. That is essential to this new aesthetic in a way that it would never was previously. It was about creating something that was viscerally viscerally enjoyable, but not at the expense of the user. It was sort of something where you both were on the same page. Whereas here. What does the user even understand mm-hmm. about these illustrations? Most of them are very abstract, like you mentioned. But not only that, as you, I mean, it's also like very alienating. It says, yes. we are in on this joke. We're in on what this means, and you're not. And somehow you're supposed to trust your data with that sort of aesthetic? <laughs> yeah. No, I think I, I like that take a lot because it's, in some way, it's in offense to the, to the user, because um, you have this this product that is very straightforward, very utilitarian. You trust it deeply, more so than you trust other products, right? I mean, people rely on Dropbox to to back up their files. If Dropbox failed or or backup didn't exist, uh, and something happened, that would be a, a massive kind of calamity in the user's life. Versus. You know, if if Amazon lost my account, you know, I would have to I would just like make a new one and like buy Prime again or something. I don't know. I'm just making it up. But um, for the the style, it's just it's just odd when placed into Dropbox's interface. Um, and 
you know, I'm, I'm interested just to see if, if what you said kind of comes true, which is, you know, will there be a Dropbox.com redesign, like the logged in user interface redesign that is, uh, you know, that looks like, say, uh, Bloomberg Business Week or the outline or right. some of these mm-hmm. other sites where it's just it's made to look like a magazine that just happened to exist on your on your screen versus a, a product. And in, in for for box, so box, you know, I've been I've been using box now for a while for uh, for some things. Mm-hmm. You know, I have Dropbox for my personal stuff, and you know, I have box for other things. But box redesigned their product UI recently, and it is dramatically superior to Dropbox. It has more information. It has better uh, kind of actions and contextual actions throughout, such that you know, as you're viewing something, you can do all these things, and you know, if you're in the list view, you can do some other things, and and um, it's really just it, it feels like an airplane cockpit made for uh, people who uh, have you know know what they're doing and they're advanced professional users of cloud storage, you know, and and this is and obviously box their they're targeting enterprise customers, uh, mm-hmm. but you don't have to target enterprise customers to make an extremely clean, useful product interface. Uh, that's and and that's the the differentiation with Dropbox. I mean, obviously, Dropbox is probably looking at Box and saying, "Well, they're doing enterprise. We're going to focus on, I don't know, <laughs> like young creative people that." I don't know. Wear extremely thick, you know, framed glasses or something. I guess that's their new, their newest. Right. Well, and it's, who, <laughs> yeah. Do those people have money? I mean, is this company trying to make money? Because the people they seem to be targeting are a very niche category, right? And aren't aren't the people who are their bread and butter, and and they're alienating not only the enterprise users, um, but also they're alienating your everyday your everyday family who wants to share their files with, with the, you know, with their children or, you know, with the parents, it seems, who are they designing for? It's hard Mm -hmm. to say, but we can just trust that they have a a roadmap for this aesthetic and, you know, just give it some time. And and eventually, you know, by the time we give it time, we'll have already forgotten about it. So it won't Mm. really matter. Right. And I think that's a good take because if they don't, so regardless of what we think about the new brand and the new illustration style, the colors, et cetera, if they don't follow through and rework the Dropbox.com logged in UI for, for file listings and whatever to be closer aesthetically to the new mark, to the new brand, then it's clear they're only they're like one foot in the grave and one foot out. They have not committed to it, right? Like are they going to commit to this zany modernism and color palette as part of the product, or is it just when they do TV commercials or something, and they're going to, you know, introduce the Dropbox brand as this kind of zany thing, and then you go to Dropbox.com and it looks very, you know, like somebody's wearing a polo shirt and like khaki pants, you know, like is that the plan? Is is this new brand only to be used for marketing, um, or will it make its way into the, into the product? Um, and if it doesn't, and if it doesn't make its way to the product, which I mean, I really freaking hope it doesn't cause I mean, Jesus (laughs) Christ, but if it doesn't make its way into the product, why did they make such a splash with the new website dropbox.design and they have the microsite and they have these illustrations and they hired an animation firm to help them out with some of this stuff. Like why do they do all that if it was only going to be used for some marketing, not throughout the whole product? Right. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because 
one of the most coherent um, apologies for the rebrand. <laughs> no, I mean I don't say that. Yeah. You know, in any with any. Uh, I don't even know. I, I don't say that with as to denigrate the term. I mean, you can apologize for something and it can be good. Um, mm-hmm. But but yeah, I mean, one of the the best apologies I would say was by and I'm going to totally butcher his name. So uh, you know. But in any case, uh, his name was I think. Thierry Blancpain, you know, he can maybe correct me or something. But in any case, he he wrote something with the essence of, you know, there can be a a distinction between the marketing and the product. And I certainly agree with that sentiment. There's no, there's no like hard and fast rule that you have to have um, your marketing and your advertising and, and that sort of branding be exactly in line with the product. I think the, the danger is, and the danger that too few people are willing to admit, especially about this rebrand, but in general, is that these, these aren't two separate worlds. You know, these, the branding leaks into the product. Right. And, and for good reason, it should, because, you know, there should be some, and I hate to use this word, but it's the word that's coming into my mind. There should be some sort of synergy mm. between the marketing and the product. And we saw this with iOS 7. That's, that's the canonical example because it was so major and it obviously influenced a whole lot that happened in industry. But, you know, when Marcom at Apple decided on a certain aesthetic, that was not, you know, in a vacuum. That was that translated into right. user interface elements. And and again, like you're saying, like whether the 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 grid or the table uh, that you see in Dropbox.com is going to be as wild and zany as as some of this marketing, it surely won't. But the question is, should it be even remotely a degree close to this? And I would say no. Um, and I think that the you know, of course, Terry's right that. We should have freedom to be creative or whatever that means, but we should have room to be expressive even more so than maybe a pared down interface where you just want to be utilitarian. But the question is, you know, who who is determining, who's going to rein it in? And and if designers feel that they that they have free reign to, to do whatever they want, then there there really is no there's there is no limit and that's where it seems Dropbox is today is they've uh, I think another person I'm, now I'm just gonna blank on her name but the uh, she goes by Devin Co now or she I'm blanking on her Allison House that's who it is oh uh, yeah she yeah she was tweeting about this and and she's a former Dropboxer um, so and she's totally right about this this was uh, elucidated in their medium series of medium posts about the illustrations. Uh, that they have gone through a, a serious evolution in terms of, you know, quote unquote, people having a seat at the table, designers having a seat at the table, and that's great. I don't think it's a bad thing that designers are getting more credibility and and being able to yeah. push certain certain aesthetics. Um, but but the question is to what end, right? And and they, it seems there is there's no editor in the end here. It's just sort of well, we're going to throw some three D animations here, and we're going to have some experimental typography here, and we're going to have some new illustration style here, and and none of it really goes together. Maybe the color palette, by being totally dissonant, can bring it all together. But who who's saying you know who's saying no here in the end of the day, and it stops here, and we're going to. Who's who's that ultimate editor? I don't see that person being there. Yeah, and I and I think I think also it's really the consequence of uh, 
many, many, many designers being hired at Dropbox and lots of other companies where these designers have various various types of backgrounds and uh, kind of proclivities towards uh, an art style or design style. So you look at designers who have been working on kind of like you know high quality so for example salesforce high quality product user interface design for many years kind of perfecting that craft where it's it's really about the clarity and the end goal of the user and getting them to that action um you know salesforce has really been kind of on the cutting edge of their uh their patterns and their components and their ui for for a number of years so you know you you have kind of a spectrum of designers ui designers who've been working doing extremely clean outstanding product ui design work and then you have other designers uh for example the designers that you know they hired at collins and designers who say have been working on more print type stuff or more abstract design or more marketing design websites where they come into the kind of the conversation and you know which type of designer gets their voice heard and dominates and you know i think there was like a you know a rumor early on like you said about iOS 7 where you know Johnny I brought in like his his marketing designers or something to to do some of the UI work and then the designs and the icons um, and people who were used to working on UI at Apple um, their voices were lessened in the conversation. And this really seems like, I mean, there's lots of designers at Dropbox uh, working on paper and there are other products within Dropbox that are extremely uh, talented at like high quality product user interface design. And then I feel like there has to be some other kind of cadre of, of designers there, maybe newer designers or ones that they brought on from different industry or, or, or you know, consulting work or whatever, um, that maybe worked on like campaigns for Nike or something. I'm just kind of making it up. But that type of designer um, came in and perhaps dominated this conversation about this rebrand. Uh, mm. So I can imagine, I'm just completely guessing, but I can imagine there's some kind of something going on inside of Dropbox where people that work on the product, which really matters, and the UI and keeping extremely clear, you know, are they fighting with these other designers who worked on the brand and made it look like some kind of like hand-drawn 1970s like children's you know artwork thing or like is there a struggle inside there like are they trying to keep those designers at bay so they don't redesign dropbox logged in interface and make it look you know like a like a marketing website um it's just it's just it's just an odd it's just an odd thing i think right yeah and it this is it's exactly that there's this sort of irreverence that uh, uh, an agency can have that I think is a very negative can be a negative influence on a, a product team, um, and this isn't you know some of the the greatest rebrands have come from external agencies, but I think when the when they can run roughshod on on a brand, it it can be very damaging. And one of the words that I thought from the case study or the the justification for the rebrand that was very telling was they, they used the word provoke, that their aim was to provoke mm-hmm. um, provoke people with this rebrand. And I think that that's like, and I don't use this word lightly, but I think that's kind of toxic. You know, yeah. and, and Collins, um, Brian Collins himself, and I don't think, I mean, he it's, per, it's possibly true that he worked on this brand himself, but, you know, they have a team at Collins yep. and I, I don't know, maybe he was an advisory role or maybe he was more hands-on. But one thing that he said after the rebrand um, was that 
he was glad that this rebrand sparked a discussion. Now, of course, any 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 time you put out a rebrand, you want people to talk about it, and and that's you know to some degree, you know, any publicity is good publicity, and and for an agency, you know, if you can if you can quote unquote provoke any your audience into talking about you, well, there you go, you've got more eyes. Some percentage of those are going to sign up for the product. Some amount of money is going to be made. You know, screw the people who are alienated from the rebrand. You've got, you know, 200 stories on Fast Company and Wired and whatever other right. pop, pop uh, tech and design mags are out there talking about you. But I think that's a really, a really sort of unfortunate way of looking at the, the value of a brand and the equity is that you can sort of trash what is occurring currently for the to provoke a conversation that that's not respectful of of the company and and what it stands for in a way that's sort of uh, in a way it's kind of selfish you know is it really about about provoking a conversation or is it about this longer term thinking of what what's important to the brand and what's important to maintaining that relationship with the customer I think that's a great point and 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 I, and I think it goes to the kind of this the spectrum of uh, the relationship between the in-house designers at Dropbox who are familiar with the brand, obviously, you know, intimately, you would, you would assume, and an outside agency and the, the push and pull that goes on there. Uh, you know, how much uh, responsibility, power is the outside agency given? Um, are they just assisting the in-house team? Are they doing all – it seems like it, that was probably not the case. Are they doing – the majority, the bulk of the work, and then the in-house team is kind of like approving and an approval role. Um, and it, it, like you said, <laughs> the 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 design firm who gets brought in to to do the rebrand, they want the con- they want it to spark a, a conversation. They want their their design firm's name, you know, trending on Twitter or whatever in the industry. Uh, they want to be known for kind of creating this you know, provocative design because they can put it on their portfolio. They can stand it up at their next pitch meeting with a larger client, say that we did this really, con- you know, this really prov- uh, provocative work that got talked about for weeks. Uh, you know, if you want to be talked about too, you know, we're the ones to go with. And then to me, that that's their interest. You know, the design firm's interest is, uh, you know, their, 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 their payment is not aligned with, with, people's opinions of the of the responsibility of Dropbox's brand like a year from now right like they're they're not getting withheld money if people's perception of the Dropbox brand decreases over the next couple of years like they're mm-hmm. they're paid money and they get it done and so they're incentivized to kind of stand it up and, and have it be talked about and this is really the, the to- and like you said toxic this is the toxic thing that's happening in um, in media today with with website and, and, and content publishing is you know the clickbait titles the goal is to get you to come from social media and visit and, and give us a page view so that we can have larger page view numbers and some more ads and, and whatnot so you have these clickbait title things uh, that drive you in and then you have this this freaking writing style you see everywhere all these text sites now where the first two or three paragraphs say absolutely nothing and then like the fourth paragraph and beyond is the lead and they bury the lead and they bury the lead on purpose because they want you to get a couple paragraphs in and see a banner or you know or whatever they want you to kind of scroll and get below the get below the fold and right. that's their incentive so like they're writing these articles that to get 
you know, clickbait titles and, 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 you know, I've known Pete Cashman for a long time, but like Mashable was like, you know, the ultimate for this, uh, mm. because that's, that's what drives their, their value, right? Like that's, that's the thing that's like fucking up all conversations in media in our country is that every single website is in this clickbait race to drive shitty page views because that page view is equal to the same as that page view, you know, and I'm trying to inflate it. So <laughs> the goal isn't to have people understand the issue in a very simple, quick way without, without even clicking into the article or by just, say, the first paragraph. Most media sites are not, you know, are not doing that. The goal is to kind of get you there with this clickbait shit. And this is kind of tying this back to you know, Collins' work. The, the, if the goal is to be provocative, that's the same thing as this like clickbait website stuff where they just want you to click in and see it and just be aware of, of how crazy it is. They're not, you know, like, for example, like a website that's talking about politics, they're not being paid based on how well their audience understands an issue. They're being paid to how many freaking people get there, right? So right. It's, it's all about this weird incentive structure where these big design firms are incentivized to get their name out there in a provocative way because then they look look bigger and larger than life to their next client, the next client, the next client. And it's right. at odds with making a stronger brand promise and evolving it over time in a way that lets people uh, you know, care more about it and respect it more. They're just at odds with each other. Right. Well, and, and going off of that, in terms of the, the, the provocativeness and the fact that they're sort of just going for the lowest common denominator, I think what really embodied that was the the language around the entire rebrand. So the idea that this was about creativity. Now, can you get more cliche than creativity? Creativity describes everything, <laughs> and it doesn't and it doesn't say much because creativity that's that's useful or or beautiful or interesting or compelling, or creativity that is just waste and. Mm-hmm. and mess and clutter. Um, and, and I'm not saying that from the perspective of, you know, reduction is the it's ideal, obviously. It's, it's everything right. and anything. Right. Anything goes in a way. Um, and, and if it, frankly, like if we're going to have postmodern, this postmodern aesthetic, I want to see them not couch it in creativity. I mean, every modernist company says they're creative. I don't want to see this cliche, these cliches. I want to see some critical theory or, you know, if you're going to go with an aesthetic that has this pretense of intellectual weight, then give us that intellectual weight in your, in your copywriting. Justify, I mean, even if no one gets it, justify why you should have this postmodern aesthetic with some rationale that is just totally wacko. And maybe, in fact, I think if you look at uh, Visco, um, they Mm. had some Crazy nonsense! I did not understand what they were talking about in their rebrand. <laughs> yeah, their and it was rebrand postmodern was and crazy. It didn't make any sense. But you know, I'm sure there were a bunch of people at Yale at Yale Design School who were just going apeshit over it, and that's great. You know, be, if you're gonna do that, then be that fully. Don't do this yes. sort of half-assed. You're we're gonna slap on the aesthetic, but there's but we're not even gonna go deep on on the the pseudo intellectualism. Like, give us the pseudo intellectualism. <laughs> yeah, fully fully commit. Um, yeah, and that's the what I was trying to think about. So you know the the rationale for the design. We we didn't quite 
kind of, you know, get into that or, you know, play devil's advocate. And, you know, really from a, an objective, larger industry standpoint, um, cloud storage is an invisible commodity that people now expect to be free and part of whatever platform that they've, that they've bought into. Whether they're using Google and like a Chromebook or they're on Apple with iCloud Drive and stuff like that, um, it's, it's becoming it, – it, the price has gone to zero, right? And, and that's what users expect. They, they expect automatic backups all the time because they know that storage is so infinitely cheap and near free now for large companies that they just expect everything to be backed up, that all their files are always available, that there's no you know issue. That's kind of like where we're going as an industry. And we've been going there for a number of years and we'll probably, you know, that'll be fully encapsulated in people in users' minds probably in like the next three to five years, where whatever platform I'm on, if it doesn't have complete total backup for free of all my stuff, then it's kind of like a hygiene issue, like you know that company needs to to build that. So that's that's where mm-hmm. you know users' perceptions are kind of marching. And in that market, obviously you have Apple with iCloud, and you have Google, and you have you know kind of other platforms. But then you also have you know the competitors where you pay for it, like Box and like Dropbox and some other ones that are that are targeted to specific verticals or industries. And in in that field where Dropbox is, you know. Where the all these companies and drop all Dropbox competitors are trying to fight the commoditization of the entire industry, they're trying to differentiate themselves. Box has differentiated by being focused on the enterprise. Uh, they do so much work with kind of like single sign-on, working with all these enterprises, kind of internal systems, uh, and 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 giving massive discounts to, to massive companies to just get you on the Box platform. Because really, once you're on there, it's like, why would you really you know shift? Um, Dropbox uh, is trying to differentiate themselves in this industry where nobody gives a shit about the differentiation because it's just commoditized. So mm-hmm. I don't really, you know, from a devil's advocate standpoint, if they didn't do the rebrand and somebody asked me how you know, what are the things that Dropbox could do to completely differentiate themselves from their competitors? I would have absolutely no idea, right? right? Like they're, they're, they're basically building something and they've done such a great job over the years that inside everyone's psyche in the world is, you know, all my files should always be backed up. We basically move the, the Overton window of discussion from, you know, store, you know, backing up from many years ago, it's like backing up is expensive. I need to buy an external hard drive, blah, 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 and cloud services and my internet's slow and whatever to uh, storage in general is ridiculously cheap, especially on the enterprise scale. And everyone has fast internet such that it's moved to like, oh, you back up your files. Cool. That's smart. I should probably do that at some point to everything is backed up all the time. That is what I expect. And we're going to just keep on marching towards that such that Dropbox will be fully commoditized and nobody will want to pay for it because everything's free on iCloud or Google or whatever. So how do you how do you stop that march or how do you differentiate? And right. I don't know what the answer is, but I, I do know the answer is not to make <laughs> Dropbox only for designers uh, who famously, like, we don't, you know, I mean, how many freaking designers have complained about like you know subscription pricing on apps where right. you're like oh I bought that thing for four dollars and now it's a dollar a month how dare you 
You know, <laughs> like that's where designers mindset is in the industry. And it's not just designers. It's a lot of, you know, software engineers also. So if you're marketing toward designers, we are the cheapest fucking people you could possibly go after. How are you going to make money from us? Right. And we all use Macs. Like we all use Apple products and we are also marching towards that. Everything should be free and backed up all the time too. So not only do we not like paying for things, we're also at the cutting edge of people who would just have free storage forever on our platform because we bought a new Mac or we're on the latest version of Mac OS or whatever. So mm-hmm. I just, I don't, I don't understand the strategy. Right. Right. It, it, like you were saying, it's, it's a very, it's an incredibly complex and tough uh, challenge of how to differentiate and how to move forward with with this with this market and and the difficulties in the market as it is. But again, that's where you need to really critically think about these these branding decisions because they they do have so much weight and not treat them sort of flippantly with with a sort of indifference to what actually what the impact of what you're doing is you know just changing it for the sake of change instead of being very deliberate um that's that's what you want to think about is 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 being very very strategic and careful with this but i guess you know we'll take we'll take into account what what everybody seems to be saying which is you out on the outside don't have the context and you'll see when they come out with their new suite of features that this was was totally in line and totally made sense. So I'm looking forward to that um, <laughs> when all of this starts to make sense. I can I can just hear I can hear the sarcasm, which I love. That's well, you know, the if, if they do if they do come out with something that that really brings it all together, hey, I'm willing to be uh, yeah. I'm willing to be proven wrong. Yeah, will they commit themselves? You know, and you know, will they commit themselves to this aesthetic or? treat it like a one-off or maybe it's only just the flattened of the logo, you know? Um, but yeah, I think, I think we can leave it there. I think that was a great take on, you know, kind of the Dropbox brand. Uh, it's to be remain to, to, to be seen, uh, you know, if they follow through with more say TV ads or commercials to use the brand, will it seep into the product UI itself? I guess time will tell. Yes. Cool. All right, man. It was a, it was a second episode. We did yes. it. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> we finally found the time. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll talk again soon. Cool, man. All right, see you later.